Hogan joins us. Good morning, Joan. Good to see you. And as Bob just said, I am Joan Hogan, and I'm welcoming you to the Prairie Doc Radio Program. Rick Holm, our Prairie Doc, is unable to be with us today, so I'm happy to welcome Jill Cruz, a family medicine physician with the Avira Medical Group Brookings. Hi, Jill. Good to have you here. Well, and I know Jill has been on the program before and been uh, very informative. It's interesting for our usual listeners, they sometimes we get a lot more calls when there's a guest physician because they've all heard Dr. Holmes' take on things and they want to hear your take. But uh, with that in mind, you can give us a call at 692-1430 with any medical questions you might have of Dr. Cruz. You know, our program is generated by your calls, but while we wait for these calls, I thought it might be interesting to discuss a topic that has held your interest, Dr. Cruz. I believe you're chair of the Avera Medical Group Brookings Committee that oversees physician burnout. Now, those of us who are not in medicine probably aren't familiar with the term physician burnout. You obviously are. Could you tell us something about this? Yes, definitely. Burnout is not something that just happens for physicians, but as a... Uh, profession, uh, physicians do have the highest rate of burnout. Uh, for general populations, around 25% of people will experience burnout. Physicians, the numbers actually reached 54%, so it's quite high. And we call burnout the cost of caring. It's what happens when you're continually putting yourself before, or putting other people's needs before your needs and you're working hard to give and give and give and if you never take that time to recharge yourself um, pretty soon you end up being like a bank account that's on overdraw and burnout is when you're in that overdrawn state emotionally physically spiritually and when that happens unfortunately your care for your patient suffers your care for yourself suffers your relationship with your family and friends suffers. So everyone is affected when a physician doesn't take care of themselves. And unfortunately, with our training, we're taught to sacrifice and we're taught to put other people before us and we're taught to be the superhero who works all the time, doesn't need to sleep, you know, we can be up for 30 hours straight and that's almost a sense of pride that you can do that and still be functioning after being awake for 30, 36 hours. Uh, but that's not a good way to live your life. You really can't. You might be able to do it in med school, but you can't. You surprised me with the numbers. 25% across professions Mm -hmm. might face burnout, but with physicians, the number can be over 50%. Yes. That's amazing. I know I've been, I knew you wanted to talk about this, and I read uh, some articles about this on the web, and um, I thought this Dr. Drummond, who is a Mayo-trained family practice physician, has done uh, written books and done a lot of research on physician burnout, and he defined it as an erosion of the soul caused by a deterioration of one's value, dignity, spirit, and will. My goodness. That's pretty... That's what his concept of burnout is. And you said before the program you've met this Dr. Drummond, huh? Yes. um, Actually, we had him come out here to Avera and speak with uh, various physicians throughout the entire Avera system for a total of 12 days. So he really did the kickoff to what we call the Avera LIGHT program. And LIGHT is the acronym for what our goals are. And it's live better, improve, grow, heal, and treat. So basically, we want to make our physicians the best people that they can be so they can be the best doctors. Because if you have a physician who's burned out, 
they're going to be the ones where they rush you through the room. They don't listen to you. They're rude. They throw clipboards. They yell at the nurses. You know, people are afraid to ask them questions. If you've had a bad experience with a doctor, it's probably because they were burned out. That's fascinating. Well, it's it's great that Avira brought this uh, gentleman in because he uh, he's a physician, but he's also quite aware and probably at the forefront of knowledge and uh, physician burnout. Uh, I'd love to continue this discussion. We should go with our first break. Again, if you have a call, a question that you might have of Dr. Cruz, please give us a call at 692-1430. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. Dr. Holm is unable to join us today, so I'm happy to welcome Dr. Jill Cruz, a family physician with the Avira Medical Group Brookings. When we began our program, we started discussing physician burnout, a subject I was not really aware of or even thought about. And as Dr. Cruz said, it may affect half the doctors, 50% of the doctors that are in practice today experience some type of burnout. More recently, it seems that uh, you talk with doctors and the burnout has increased, and it seems to be because of a lack of autonomy. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, definitely there have been a lot of changes with the uh, ACA, um, definitely with changes in insurance, new patients coming in, um, and rules with physicians uh, for what we're expected to do. We're expected to have you know, good quality care. We're expected to have uh, physicians um, on call on very regular basis, especially in our rural communities, you know, one in four, one in three. I mean, that amount of expectations is just very hard. And then you have these uh, rules for what the government expects us to be, to be considered a quality physician. And some of the things are unfortunately outside of our control. Um, For me, taking care of a diabetic patient, I get penalized if my patient has not had a diabetic eye exam. Well, guess what? I can't give a patient a diabetic dilated eye exam. Only their eye doctor can. So I am penalized for something I can't do. And And even though you may suggest that your patient do it, you can't force them to do it. No. And same with medications. You know, I can prescribe a medication, but I'm not going to be at home putting it in their pillbox and telling them to take it. And sometimes they can't afford it. It's not just a matter of prescribing it. It's can they afford the medication? Can they take it? So there's so many things that go into play. And and sometimes it's just not feasible. Uh, and not um, medically sound. If you have a, a patient who is 90 years old and a very brittle diabetic and you give them a medication and they have side effects, well, now all of a sudden I'm in trouble because I took away the medication that was causing harm. And they said, if you're not on you know Honestly. XYZ medications, you are a bad doctor. Then you're losing your, your autonomy. You are mm-hmm. no longer the physician in charge. The rules are in charge. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, the rules and the government has set up rules. The insurance company has set up rules. So it feels like doctors are fighting daily. And, and I wish the patients knew the amount of time and effort. Um, I have a nurse that will be on the phone with insurance companies, sometimes literally for f- 20, 30 minutes on hold waiting to talk to a real person and then another 20, 30 minutes fighting to get a patient a medication that they've been stable on for the last 10 years. And the insurance, but the insurance company doesn't want to support it. They changed their formulary. They changed their agreements with the drug companies. And now all of a sudden what was covered December 31st, January 1st, they no longer will pay for. And 
telling the insurance company, well, they've been on it and have been w- doing well for 20 years, unfortunately, is not good enough. That that is really got has to add to the burnout because you you cannot practice medicine as you want to practice it, mm-hmm. and you believe you're doing the right thing for the patient, but either the insurance company or the ADA, whatever mm-hmm. rules are coming down. I read an article uh, that was in. Uh, Minnesota chapter of physicians for a national, well, it was in a Minnesota paper about physicians. And the article compared the physician burnout to the no child left behind with teachers. And what the article tried to cover was that when no child left behind didn't go over really well, the parents recognized that it was not working. It wasn't just the teachers alone going crazy with these rules. A lot of teachers just quit. I have so many friends that retired maybe five years earlier than they would have simply because they were tired of the paperwork. They wanted to teach, and instead of teaching, they had to do all this paperwork. And now we have parents that are fighting the no child left behind. The rules are changing. That We could use that same type of help for the doctors huh, on mm-hmm. this. And how could that help come about? Well, I definitely would say patients do need to be aware of this. There's so many things that we do. We s- uh, doctors are retiring early because they said, you know what, I don't want to treat the computer. I don't want to treat the chart. I want to treat my patient. And in order to get all of these boxes checked that have to be seen, and if it's not in the right area of the computer, it doesn't get counted and it uh, gets counted against you. Um, they said, enough. I- I've had it. I'll either do cash only, no insurance, no government involvement or I will just quit completely which isn't good when we're adding more people into the uh, population of seeking health care especially those who haven't had health care before and now are coming in with lots of new problems that they haven't addressed because they haven't had insurance and, and couldn't afford medical care so when we need more doctors the most several are getting out it's yeah, it is crazy but the world is a little crazy so it doesn't make much sense to me we hope uh, you are interested in this, will care about it. Uh, what, what can I do as a person, what, just an average person? Write to my congressman? I mean, what, what can we do? I would I, say let the powers that be know that you want your doctors to be in control. And the way that they're measuring quality really isn't measuring quality. If you would ask any doctor, are these quality metrics really showing how good you are as a physician? They no. will all agree and say no. And that's just how the teachers felt with the no no child left behind. It was a great idea, mm-hmm. but it didn't fly because yeah. you were taking autonomy away from a teacher or taking autonomy away from a physician. Just crazy. Doesn't make sense. Well, we, we have had one or two calls come in during this discussion, maybe on other topics, but what we'll do is take our second break and we'll get to those right after these words. Hi, welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. We're happy to have you listening today. Dr. Holm is unable to join with us, so today I'm happy to welcome Dr. Jill Cruz, a family physician with the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. And Dr. Cruz has been talking about physician burnout, but while we talked, we had a few calls come in. Before we get to the first call, we did have a comment about nerve blocks after surgery. I, had n- I was not familiar with this. Can you tell us something about that? So basically a nerve block is where you're putting in uh, numbing medication to the nerve that's responsible for the area of pain from the surgery. So it's kind of continuously dripping in medication uh, to numb that area. So while your body is taking the time to heal, you don't have to feel the pain of it. 
Great idea. Mm-hmm. And that's a, probably more recent in the past 10 years or yep, so, or even less. I would say even less. Okay. It, it's but become common. And it's become very helpful to people. Yes. We hope the insurance companies like it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you have to get their, their approval. For uh, approval. Right, right. Well, here's an easier question. Person called in, I have a cold and I'm scheduled to watch my grandson next week. He's two years old. Should I opt out? I don't want to make him sick, but his mother really needs the help. What does a grandmother do? Well, I would say if you've got a few days time, most colds do resolve within five to seven days. Good hand washing, rest, um, liquids, you know, trying to do what you can to feel better, using over-the-counter medications to help your symptoms and sometimes you have to do what you have to do and trust me a two-year-old that's uh, in daycare is gonna bring their own set of germs so (laughs) you might be more worried for yourself you might uh, be more worried for yourself than the two-year-old so well stay healthy yourself or get healthy and and as you say washing hands makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. i can't believe uh in the maybe the past 20 years or so this Wash hands, wash hands, and you'll see uh, what is the liquid hand sanitizer Mm -hmm. almost everywhere you go now. It's a great idea, and it really seems to have reduced a lot of the spread of germs. Mm -hmm. So we will trust the grandmother can take care of her grandson. Uh, We had a call about uh, reflux disease. If I suffer from heartburn, should I be concerned about GERD, reflux disease? It seems if you burp or belch, people immediately warn you about reflux. Do I really have to worry about it, or am I just okay? It's all in severity. Everything in medicine has a spectrum from mild to severe. So if it's happening every once in a while after you eat chili, have Mexican, I wouldn't be too concerned. If it's waking you up at night, if it's every single day, every single time you eat, that would be more concerning with that. It's really on duration because extended uh, episodes of reflux where you're constantly having acid hitting the esophagus can cause changes in those tissues um, And the worst case scenario is where it would turn into what's called a Barrett's esophagus, where the lining of the esophagus turns into more of stomach lining, and those cells aren't supposed to be there, so they're at higher risk for turning into cancer. And that's where we want to get people on medications, do an EGD where we look down with a camera and see if there's changes and do biopsies. So big range between just heartburn and then uh, GERD, which is um, gastroesophageal reflex disease. So you can have reflex and then disease. So it, it's all in the amount and severity. Okay. People are funny, though. They hear about GERD or something, and they're sure, you know, you belch once and you're in trouble. But it's just the, uh, the spectrum that you're at, right? Definitely. Okay. Well, we have another call. Um, this, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, has a mole on his or her neck, and it's often a woman. It's irritated by her blouse or sweater. Do you recommend removal of moles even when the mole seems to be benign? It's just causing, you know, if you had one on your neck, it would cut into your sweater or your Well, blouse. again, this is where insurance comes into play. Oh, good old <laughs> insurance. Okay. Yes. Uh, they like to remove things that are cancerous. They also tend to be okay with removing things that are irritated in bad locations. So very often I will uh, ask people, is it rubbing on your collar? Is it getting caught on necklaces? Is it, you know, if you're combing your hair and it's in your scalp, is it getting hit when your hair is being done or you're combing it? Is it bleeding? 
um, all sorts of things that are irritated. If it's just there and you're taking it off because it isn't pretty, your insurance will say that's cosmetic. We can take off any mole you want. Uh, getting it paid for, however, is the is the, the uh, have the insurance covered. Yeah. Do you think it's important to take moles off? You know, it's important if they're irritating. It's important if they look like they're cancerous or precancerous. And sometimes you can't tell by looking. There's lots of things that are normal that mimic cancer. There's lots of things that are cancerous that mimic normal. So you can't always tell just by looking. And even the dermatologists biopsy a lot so they know for sure because you can't always tell until you stain it and look at it under the microscope. Well, saying that, it sounds like you should have them removed to find out. What do you think? Eh. Well, <laughs> if I removed every freckle on my body, I'd have uh, a lot of holes. <laughs> so Not the thing to do. Huh? Yep. If things are changing, if they're um, expanding in size, uh, we go by the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E. So A is asymmetry. If it's not something that you could fold in half and have uh, symmetric and match one side to the other, get it checked out. B is border. If the border is irregular and jagged, I'd be more concerned about that. C is color. If there's more than one color in the mole, you want to get that looked at. D is diameter. If you can take a pencil eraser and cover it up, it's less likely to be a problem. So if it's bigger than a pencil eraser, I'd be concerned. And then your last is E, expanding. Is it getting bigger in size? Is it changing? If you have any of those in that alphabet, I definitely get it checked out by someone who has experience. Okay. Well, that, I hope that that calms their nerves and they don't have to worry about it anymore. Our caller had a question about sleep, and I thought this is something Dr. Holmes answered. I think they want another physician's answer on it. Uh, what do you recommend to aid in sleep? I'm afraid to get dependent on Tylenol PM, but I really want to sleep at night, and I seem to need it. Well, sleep hygiene is the most important thing. So what are you doing before bed? Are you trying to balance your checkbook? Are you doing things that, you know, get the brain stimulated or excited? Um, those sort of things don't help. Uh, you want to kind of spend the night winding down, just like I have to make my toddlers wind down <laughs> at, at night to get them to go to bed. You want to help to wind down, have a, a dark, cool environment to sleep in. Um, limiting electronics, um, I am terribly guilty of looking at my cell phone uh, in the bed in the dark, and that backlight is terrible. It messes with your brain's uh, ability to know when it's to go to time to go to bed uh, related to the melatonin release, which is light dependent. So cutting back on uh, electronics, kind of dimming the lights, and not exercising too closely to before going to bed. Um, all of those things. But usually what most people tell me is they're so busy thinking they can't go to sleep. So one technique that I've seen that seems to really help people, we call it the 4-7-8 technique. So what you do is you take a deep breath in for four seconds, you hold your breath for seven seconds, and then you exhale slowly for eight seconds. Now during that time, your brain can't be going through the list of all the things that you're supposed to be doing tomorrow you're counting the because seconds. you're counting. <laughs> And after that's done, repeat it. Repeat it as many times in a row as you need. But that holding your breath and then slowly exhaling is going to slow your heart rate down naturally. And it's going to help set your body up for sleep. And that, I've found people, if you do that regularly, religiously, two, three times of doing that, and you're going to be drifting off to sleep. Oh, it's a great concept. You know, I used to always 
read before I go to sleep and uh, it just worked for me. I know you said you shouldn't use your brain, but it, it, reading kind of calmed me and yep. relaxed me. And, and it's about things that stimulate it or, or get you worked up. So yeah. yes, if it's a thriller and you're going to page turner, oh. no. No, but just <laughs> if nice If it's reading. kind of a, you know, mind fluff, easy mm-hmm. reading. The and thing that I found now great. though, I've switched from books to Kindle. Mm-hmm. And from what I've read and from what you just said, it's really not good to use that Kindle at night, huh? Yep, that, that, that light, backlight. That backlight is mm-hmm. not good for you. Yep. Okay. For all you Kindle users, stop reading at night. There I go. At that least in the help. dark. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that that breathing concept is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Dr. Holm has often talked about this. I'll bet we get a question every two months or even <laughs> more about sleep. And uh, this breathing technique he hasn't mentioned before, mm-hmm. I think that might be a great, might be of help to them. And what he always talks about is get exercise during the day, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure you would agree with that. Yep, just not too close to bed. We want that heart rate to come down. But yes, exercise during the day, you'll, you know, you have that energy, you need to use it up, and then you can rest. Good. Well, we appreciate your information on that, and I'm sure the callers appreciate the answers. We are going to take our final break. We'll be back right after these. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. We just have a few minutes remaining. I've enjoyed this half hour with, with Dr. Jill Cruz, who is a phys- family practice physician with the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Is your family practice a full spectrum? Do you have infants to older people? Yep. You I got them all, huh? Yeah, a day old to uh, 100 and whatever. <laughs> wow, okay. It is a family practice. Yep. It's it, Dr. Holm has been concerned over the years with the demise of family practice. He's so afraid that internal medicine and family practice, fewer and fewer physicians are going into it. Have you found that to be true, too? I definitely think that there are people who are called to family practice, and the people who go into it go into it because, one, they're easily bored, so they can't imagine doing just one thing all day, every day. Um, and they're not concerned about the paycheck because definitely uh, pediatrics, family practice, internal medicine are the lower paid specialties. So it's not something you're going into for the glory and honor. You're going into it for the service and because you love patients and you love the challenge of a day where you never can expect what's going to happen. So yes, there are fewer people who are willing to rise to that challenge. Uh, but it's definitely a need. So my uh, solution for that is taking on pre-med students, taking on medical students, and and showing them what the wonder of the relationship with your patients, getting to know them over the time, and the just mental challenge of not knowing what's behind door number one every time you go in. And I'm how sure that's that what can be. Yeah, I'm sure that's what drew Dr. Holm. And knowing him, he he would be bored to death doing the same thing every day. And obviously, you have the same mindset. Yes. Right. Do you work with uh, med students yourself? Yes, I do. You do? Yep. Okay. I take them on a very regular basis. So, And I have one uh, starting later this month. So, Well, good. Glad to hear it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the New Year, as Bob said at the outset of the show. And uh, New Year, often we think of New Year's resolutions. What advice can you give people who do those great resolutions and they know they're going to lose weight or they know they're going to exercise and they're really hard at it for a week or two and then die off? Do you have any ideas how they could maintain these resolutions? Well, one is set a reasonable goal. 
and make it small. When I tell people about goal making, make it so small that the hurdle you could step over. We, we don't want to make it a pole vault and <laughs> say, I'm going to lose 100 pounds in two months. Make it, I'm going to drink one less soda a day. You know, make it something that you are, when you write it down, make it very specific and make it something that you are 90% sure you can actually do. So small, doable goals. And then you can feed off that success and then slowly work your way up to your ultimate goal. So you can have a goal for the year, but break it down into measurable pieces and have someone to be accountable to. Because if uh, you have no one to check in with, it's very easy to backslide. But if you know someone's going to be asking you about, hey, have you cut back one soda a day? Uh, or have you cut back you know, two cigarettes a day? You know, any progress is progress. And you, know, you don't have to say, I'm going to go from smoking a pack a day to none cold turkey. You can work on making slow, steady changes. Well, that's kind of how I quit smoking. <laughs> I mean, I hate to admit I was a smoker for many years, but it's probably been 20 or 30 years since I quit. But uh, my husband quit cold turkey on his birthday. That was it. It would drive you crazy. And he said, okay, we're quitting. I said, you quit. That's fine. I'm not quitting smoking because I thought he'd just fall right back. You know, you mm -hmm. can't quit cold turkey. I know I couldn't. Of course he did because when he sets his mind to something, he does, he does it. it. And so on his birthday, he never smoked again. A year later, I had cigarettes in the freezer because I convinced myself I finally played a game. I'm a non-smoker who enjoys an occasional smoke. And so <laughs> I would keep them in the freezer so they wouldn't go stale. And I'd have one or two or three a day, brought it down from a pack a day. And finally, I was closing our store. I was in retail then Christmas Eve. And as I closed the door, I thought, this is your last cigarette. For some reason, it hit me and I was done. But it took me a year to quit. So I think using those uh, short short steps or s reasonable goals was what I worked with because I just couldn't quit cold turkey. It's mm -hmm. a terrible habit. Yep. And some people can and wonderful kudos to them, but it's very hard. I've seen more people fail and then you get discouraged. And I, I tell people no child learns to walk in one day or ride their bike in one day. If you fall, if you fail, get back on the horse, keep trying, get and up. you can do it. I mean, just yeah. because you had one setback doesn't mean you're a complete failure. So keep trying. Well, I hope that helps people with their resolutions for the year. And it, uh, you know, people really do want to live a better life. We mm -hmm. all do. And you, you try to make these goals, but as you say, the goals can be too so extensive that you just don't, mm -hmm. you fall once and you're done. Yep. And be kind to yourself. I mean, uh, someone once gave me good advice, uh, treat yourself like you treat your dog. So <laughs> give it lots of praise, lots of love, and if it makes a mess, just clean it up and move on. I love that. Okay, we sure hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program today. As always, you can hear from Dr. Holm online at prairiedoc.org, where you may also learn about the exciting activities of the Healing Words Foundation. Tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock on the South Dakota Public Television Network, Dr. Holmes' guest will be former South Dakota Senator Tom Daschle. Senator Daschle and Dr. Holmes will discuss the United States health care policy. This should be a great show. Be sure to check in. And I'm really thankful to Dr. Jill Cruz for joining me today. Jill, it's just been great having you here. Thanks so much. Okay, and thank you, all of you out there, for listening to Prairie Doc Radio. I'll close with Dr. Holmes' weekly reminder. Stay healthy out there, people. <laughs>